people out there. Let's pray together. Father God, um, you're already here. We've seen you at work already this morning. And we want to thank you for your presence. Lord, we want to ask right now that, that you will empty our minds of the things that are happening this afternoon, of the cares that we brought in with us this morning, so that we just may be open to hear what you have for us today. Lord, I pray that we will humbly listen to your word, Lord, and react and respond to you as you speak to us today. In your name, amen. So, my not-so-love affair with Greek started on the 28th of February this year. It was a Wednesday. And this is how it started. Apologies if you're going to do this sometime in the future. Learning another language requires two things, commitment and nerve. Commitment because there are few effective shortcuts and learning the necessary vocabulary and grammatical forms takes time and some pain. Nerve because even the best student will feel overwhelmed by the task once in a while. And delightfully, it goes on. Learning Greek is like moving upward, something I'm not a fan of, through different plateaus of complexity. At first, students feel as though they are drowning in an overload of data. Then they begin to make some sense of the material, whereupon the teacher again overloads the system with a whole new set of things to be learned. Eventually, these are mastered and then the process is repeated. Having the nerve to face this process will get even the most mediocre student through the subject. Lack of nerve will cause even the brightest student to fail. And it was at this point um, in the very first lecture that I went, whoa, I don't have that nerve. I just have nerves and a whole lot of them going on. And I sat there and I just went, this is an impossible task that you've put before me, God. And I started to kind of rationalize my way out of it. Maybe you didn't actually call me to do this. Maybe it was just the other nice subjects that you called me to, and maybe this one's not really necessary. A lot of people have told me, I can just Google Greek anyway, so maybe I don't need this. It's at this point where I kind of let the fear of what was ahead of me overwhelm me, and I felt like it was impossible. I felt like I was just staring down the impossible. And I think, not just maybe, that I'm in a room full of people that at some point you too felt like you came face to face with something that was impossible. And you were flooded with the emotions of your mind just racing, going, whoa, where's a loophole? How can I get out of this? Whoa, there must be someone else that can fix this. There's way better people for me that could do this. And you sit in that sphere, whoa, it mustn't be for me. Surely this can't be for me. And I know that I'm not the only one, and I have some proof. So on the screen, this is one, um, this is a text message. So I texted it to myself, but it's, God, this is crazy. Greek will be the death of me. And I know you know this because you use the same emojis. My favorite one is the whole, you know, and he's kind of half blue. So I know 
that this is part of your language too. The feelings that I'm talking about is, are the same feelings that we share. And then there's memes. So let's have a look at the first one. Really? Tell me more how breathing cures anxiety. Um, I, I think I used that one before my exam. Next one. Grandma, you got to come get me. Your daughter is freaking out. I couldn't find a picture of a boy, baby boy, but it would have been appropriate. Anxiety girl. And it says, anxiety girl is able to jump to the worst conclusion in a single bound. I know why you're laughing. The reason why you're laughing is because you can identify with these feelings. You understand them. You've texted those emojis. You've laughed at those memes. And not the kind of ha-ha belly laugh, but the kind of <laughs> laugh where you go, uh-huh, were they reading my mind? You've been there. We've all been there. But I want you to think this morning, what actually is your impossible? What is it at the moment that's in front of you that seems just too hard to even think about. It just seems too far out of reach that you're kind of like, mm, I'm not even just gonna go there. Now I know that God is at work all around us and I know from the very fact that you're sitting in this room at Refresh with us today that God is already at work in you. So what is it? What is your impossible? It could be some of these. Is it a career path or a university degree that just scares you like crazy? And it just seems so far out of possibility that you're like, I can't do that, I couldn't do that. God, that just that little calling I heard once, that was like a cross line. I'm sure that was for someone else. Sorry, I heard it. And so you don't go there because it just seems too hard for you. Could it be that you need to forgive someone that's wronged you, but the pain is so great and you carry it round like a trophy that you just can't see past the pain in order to deal with what you need to deal with? Could it be that you should be more welcoming even here at a place like Refresh when, when you see that God puts you in the pathway of someone that you've never met before but you rationalize your way out of that God assignment by saying, I'm not on duty today. I'm not wearing the lanyard. <laughs> or it could be, I'm so shy. Like there's hundreds of other really outgoing people in this community. Like literally, I don't need to do it. I'd probably muck it up anyway. So you say, I don't need to do that welcoming. So the God assignment that was placed in front of you in that moment just slips Is it a feeling that you should probably stop antagonizing your brother or your sister or your mother? But to be honest, you've been doing it for so long now, you know how to get away with it. So why would you even bother stopping? Grabbing boys. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Or it may be an issue with honesty. Is it your finances? Is it a friendship? Is it an internet site? The 
that gives you this feeling that you are aware of, this is not where I should be, this is not where God has placed me, and I feel like he's calling me out of it, but it is too hard. It's too hard to make the move. It's too hard to pull away. This is the moment where your fear overtakes you, and so you just stay where you are. Or could it be, just could it be, that you have never, ever had that just the boldness to go, God, whatever, whatever you want from me, wherever you want me to go. Because the thought of you losing control of your future is just so great that you suppress that desire to give God control and you go, no. Other people do that. Like, what if everyone did that? That wouldn't really be so special anymore. So, like, I'll just keep it so those people look really special when I go. And then we just stay stuck. So this Christmas period, when we move into carols I love, I want to start, we want to start this series looking at a young woman. A young woman who I believe got a God assignment that was crazy overwhelming but really inspiring how she responded to it. So if you've got your Bibles, take it and let's go to the book of Luke. So in the New Testament, towards the back, um, Luke, surprise, is written by a man named Luke. And Luke was a doctor. Luke was, um, he was not one of Jesus' apostles. He was a compa traveling companion to Paul, um, the great evangelist. And um, he was a doctor, so his records are meticulous. There's a lot of detail in the book of Luke that we don't get in the other Gospels. So what I want to have a quick look at is the way that Luke introduces his book. So we're going to have a look at Luke 1, and we're going to go from 1 to 4. Luke says to us, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. And the word that just stuck out to me is that word certainty. He was writing this story of Jesus, this biography of Jesus, to give someone certainty. But what does he mean by certainty? So I want you to flick over, keep your finger in Luke, flick over to Hebrews, over the back, even further. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11 and just one verse, verse 1. And it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. And back in Luke, I think that Luke is writing a book about faith. He's communicating faith to someone else. He's saying, hey, you know all that stuff you've heard about this guy, Jesus, man, it is so true, and you can believe it. You can be certain that he is who he says he is. 
story of a young woman staring down the impossible that was harder than grief, way harder. So hard, in fact, that it sits outside the very realms of possibility. So let's read it together. We're going to go to Luke chapter 1 and we're going to read verses 26 all the way down to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled in his words and wondered what kind of greetings might this be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father Jacob, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who, said, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. I want to read the same passage to you, but I want to read it out of um, the Passion Translation. So what I want you to do now, this is where you get to participate, but your role is easy. It's, it's not hard. I want you to place yourself there. Wherever you imagine Mary would be, in a courtyard, in a room, walking down the street, place yourself in that moment and think, how would you feel? What would it sound like? What would it look like? What would I feel like if I was there? And there's some key phrases in, in this translation that I really, really love. So I'll read it to you again. If you want to close your eyes, you can go ahead and close your eyes. But imagine you were there. During the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary, living in Nazareth, a village in Galilee. She was engaged to a man named Joseph a true descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, grace to you, young woman, for the Lord is with you. And so you are anointed with great favor. Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over what this may mean for her. But the angel reassured her saying, do not yield to your fear, Mary, for, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. You will become pregnant with a baby boy and you are to name him Jesus. He will be supreme and will be known as the son of the highest. And the Lord God will enthrone him as king on his ancestor David's throne. He will reign as king of Israel forever and his reign will have no limit. Mary said, but how could this happen? I'm still a virgin. Gabriel answered, the spirit of holiness will fall upon you and the almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. 
This is why the child born to you will be holy and he will be called the son of God. What's more, your aged aunt Elizabeth has also become pregnant with a son. The barren one is now in her sixth month. Not one promise from God is empty of power for nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary responded saying, this is amazing. I will be a mother for the Lord. As his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. And the angel left her. So what images came to your mind when you hear this story told? Now, I have um, gotten some artist impressions, so I want you to have a look at them. Um, this is one, just keep scrolling through them, Locke. You'll see there's lots of angel hazy fuzziness in them. That seems to be pretty common. There's um, often symbols like lily and a dove. And there's often, when you scroll through them, there's a Mary with, a, with her head down, showing humility. But there is one, the very last one. And I want your eyes to rest on this picture. Because for me, when I looked through all of the, on, them on the internet, this is the one that I most represented what I think I would have been feeling at that moment. You see a young girl that is trying to almost inch away from, whoa, what is happening? This seems crazy. And I just felt that. It's just my reaction. Whoa, this is too big. This is impossible. What is happening? And so I identified with it. But right now, with, with you, with your Bibles, we're going to go through just slowly, verse by verse, just this passage. And we're going to unpack it. And I think that you, like me, will see a very different picture of this young woman that this does not represent. This is more like me. But I love what we see when we look at Mary closely. So I'm going to keep with my passion translation and I'm just going to read verse by verse and we're just going to um, talk about a few things. So verse 26 and 27 together, during the six months of Elizabeth's pre pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary living in Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Now Nazareth is the kind of town that Neil would like to live in. It's an agricultural town. There's only about 2,000 people in it at this time. Perfect. Probably not enough shops for me, but it's the kind of place that I guess if it was close to a regional centre, I could agree with living there if there was a mire nearby. But it's just a small town. And I love the insignificance of this place. It's not Jerusalem. It's not a famous holy city that then the God of the universe gets pulled out of. He, he comes from an insignificant little town. And for me, I just think, what could that mean too, that my location is not a disqualifier of God wanting to use me? All right, let's go to the next, well, the virgin part and the betrothed part. This kind of gets a little awkward. Not that she knows what's happening yet, but she is betrothed to someone else. And culturally, this is a 12-month um, process. So betrothal is more than our engagement. It's a legal binding contract that can only be broken by divorce or death. 
Um, so it's a big thing. Um, they're referred to as husband and wife during this time, but there's no um, sexual contact between them. That comes later. The 12 months is for Mary to prepare for her wedding and Joseph to prepare for their future. All right, let's keep going. So she was engaged to a man named Joseph, a true descendant of King David. 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Grace to you, young woman, for the Lord is with you, and so you are anointed with great favor. Mary was blessed with God's presence, with God being there with her. And it doesn't seem like it's a result of anything that she's done. Nothing's mentioned. There's not a, an honor list of how she's behaved or what she knows or what she's read beforehand. It's just simply she's honest because God looks at her with grace and says, I choose you. I see what's in you and I'm choosing you for this God assignment. She didn't work towards it. She didn't study for it. It was just gifted to her by a God that looks on her filled with grace. Now, ready? The expression, oh favoured one, in the Greek is called, uh, I'm actually not sure if I can really say it, and I did use the internet, not what I learned. Uh, it is kekeratomi. It comes from the Greek word that means grace, and it means to bestow grace and kindness. And what it's saying is it's just showing you that the grace and kindness in this story is not coming from Mary. It's coming from God who's giving it to her. That's where the grace is coming. And could it possibly be, it asks the question of us, could it possibly be when we say, well, I haven't studied for that kind of thing. There's no way I could speak up the front. I haven't been to college. Neither had she. And she got given one of the grandest assignments that there was. So could it be that you and I don't need preparation either for great assignments for God? Just a willing heart that says, God, if you can look on me with grace and, and you can see something big and good in me, well, okay. I'll take it. I'll go with you on that. We head down to verse 29. Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over what this may mean for her. I want you to look back, think back at that picture of Mary. This is the moment where I'm like, whoa, at the slightest hint of fear, I'm backing away. In fact, I'm probably crying and backing away because that's my usual pattern. This is where I would be. And this is where fear overtakes me often at this point. And I believe it's where fear often overtakes you as well. She is fearful. What? What is this going to mean? What does this actually mean? Okay, let's go to 30 now. But the angel reassured her saying, I love this. Do not yield to your fear. Do not yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you as it has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. If God chooses an assignment for you, just be certain. He's already thought about it. 
He's already played the scenarios in his head and gone, I can see way beyond here. I know that you can't right now, but be certain that I have got this sorted out. So all of the doubts and fears that you hold within you, you can begin to let go because you can be certain that if God has called you to a task, he already knows what you need to complete it. And he says, I'll just give it to you. Let me help you. My grace is with you. My presence is with you. Let your faith be bigger than your fear. Verse 31 to 33, you will become pregnant with a baby boy and you are to name him Jesus. He will be supreme and will be known as the son of the highest and the Lord God will enthrone him as king on his ancestor David's throne. He will reign as king of Israel forever and his reign will have no limits. Mm -hmm. I just feel like it's a, so what now? kind of a statement at this moment. I feel like it's a, whoa, I don't know about this. This just seems way, way too crazy. A baby, a king, pregnant, psycho. That's kind of how I would be thinking. And then we keep going and she says, mm, but how could this happen? Because like, I know you know how all of this works, but I'm a virgin like, I don't get caught up in the details, but that's a pretty big detail. And I feel like for you and I, often that's when we get stuck too. If God has not laid out all the details so that I can so easily just step through them, then I don't want anything. I don't want a bar of it. It's just too hard. And so we stop and, and we let our fear overtake where we're at. But Mary doesn't do that. She listens and Gabriel answered, the spirit of holiness will fall upon you and the almighty God will spread his shadow over you for in a cloud of glory. This is why the child born to you will be holy and he will be called the son of God. And I'm just like, thank you for the explanation that makes no sense to me. I feel like that kind of was not comforting at all. But at that moment, we see Mary choose not to let her fear overtake her and she chooses just to listen and to hear what the angel needs to play out. I feel like she was waiting for solutions like, hang on, we're gonna give you a nine month hideaway, you'll go there and then you'll come back and surprise, or we're gonna give Joseph like this special vision so that when he looks at you, you always look like real slender. And I'm like, well, if only that was a thing, wouldn't that be amazing? But there was none of that. There was just a consciousness of, I'm going to have to deal with this. We're going to have to get through this. But she listened. I want to go to this. I don't want to run out of time, so I want to skip to this. Um, yeah, it seems impossible. But it seems like in the next few verses, the angel is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know you think this is impossible, but hang on. I've got proof. You know, your relative, uh -huh, the one they said that couldn't have a baby. Well, she is. And God did that too. God's at work all around you. And what he's got in store for you is so incredible. Like he's here, he's here with you. He's got a great thing coming to you. And then in verse 37, he reassures her, do, you know, do no promise from God is empty of power. And 
after verse 37, you can have a look at it in your Bible. The gap between verse 37 and 38 is my favorite moment of this story. So in the gap between 37 and 38, she makes a conscious decision to say, I will not let my fear make me run from this. God is in this. And I read a poster once and I really, really love it. It says, if you don't run when you feel fear, fear will run because it's all great. If you don't run when you feel fear, fear will run because it has seen faith. And in those, between those verses 37 and 38, Mary says, okay, I'll have faith. Not because it's logical what's about to happen, not because it's profitable, but because you said it should be so. I trust you and it will be so. I feel like she could wear a t-shirt that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Done. Let's go. And I want to know for you and for I, what if we looked at our God assignment? with a similar faith as Mary. What if the next time a stranger comes past you and you sense that it's your moment to welcome them in and your mind starts racing, but instead of letting it go to the other places, you say, you know what, God, you said you'd be with me. I believe it, that settles it. Hey, I haven't seen you here before. Welcome to refresh. What if for you, it's a job or a course or something from the nominating committee that's so far out of your comfort zone and you go, but you know what, God, you said that you'd believe, you'd be with me and I believe it and you know what, that settles it. Yes, I'll say yes to that thing that's and what if the next time you're watching something or in being involved in something that you know that God is calling you out of and you get that sense of, I feel like you're pulling me out, God, but it is just too hard. The consequences are so great. If everyone finds out about this, I'm sure Mary felt that too. What? I can't hide this from them. And what if in that moment you went, you know what, God, you said you would be with me. And I believe it. So that settles it. And you have a difficult conversation. Let fear flee in the face of your faith. The next time you're confronted with a God assignment. I have a quote that I just want to finish with. It says, Mary wins her place in history, not for her cleverness, not for her beauty, nor even for her goodness. She becomes important in the world simply because she is willing to say yes to an angel's strange proposal without a clue of where it will lead her. And in doing so, she becomes the prototype for all of us who are invited to bear God's witness into the world. What if it read, 
joy wins her place in history, not for her cleverness and not for her beauty and not even for her goodness. She becomes important in the world simply because she was willing to say yes to an assignment without a clue of where it would lead her. What if it was Shane wins his place in history, not for his cleverness, although the glasses help with the clever looking face, nor for his handsomeness, nor for his goodness. He simply becomes important because he is willing to say yes to a God assignment where he has no clue it's going to lead him. And what if as a collection of people here, a whole church, what if we together win our place in history, not for our cleverness, not for our beauty, not even for our goodness, but we become important in this world simply because we say yes to a difficult, strange, hard, scary God assignment with no details. And when we do, We become the prototype for all of us, for a whole world that's waiting and wanting to see Jesus. I have a, um, for such a really long time, I have this song that I, I really love, and I rarely can get through hearing this song without having tears. So this could get quite awkward, but I'm gonna share it with you. And I want you to think about this. This is a song that I feel like when we're, it's about Mary, it talks about Mary, and it's a song that I feel like really embodies her faith. It's a song filled with her faith. And I want you to look at the pictures, and I want you to hear the words, and I want you to see, do I have that? How can I have that? I want that. There's stuff I want to do. your hands, they're still so small. 
Father God, I know that this room is filled with people, myself included, that are staring down the face of impossible things. Tasks that we feel unworthy of, tasks that we feel ill-equipped for. And Lord, today I just want to pray that as we leave here, we will have seen and heard from your word and know that you are who you say you are and that you said, I will be with you. You've got this. I'm right behind you. And Lord, I pray, Father God, that this will enable us to open ourselves up to you, to the God assignments that you've placed before us. Lord, let fear rise in the face of our fear. In your name, amen.